Hello and welcome to the Herbal Sensorium, a sanctuary for musings and explorations into the sensational realm of clinical herbalism. I'm your host, Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, and I am so very grateful for your company today. Hello, folks. It's January 2023, and I thought for my very first episode of the Herbal Sensorium, I would start off with a little poem. Life is a garden, not a road. We enter and exit through the same gate, wandering. Where we go matters less than what we notice. And that is Bokanon, the lost book. This is a poem that I often conjure up in my consciousness around this time of year, this Gregorian New Year, where we're supposed to be making all kinds of radical changes to our lives and our perspectives. And it, it also makes me think of, you know, the, the name of the month, January. So January, uh, the name of this month comes from Janus, right, which is the Roman god of beginnings and transitions. He presided over passages, doors and gateways, as well as in transitional periods, such as from war to peace or pandemic to non-pandemic. He was usually depicted as having two faces looking in opposite directions, one towards the past and the other towards the future. I sometimes think about this for myself as looking backwards towards my more youthful self, my more naive self, and looking forwards to my maturing self or the wiser parts of myself. So it's pretty appropriate that the archetype of Janus presides over this threshold of the new calendar year that we've just passed through. And to me, the Gregorian New Year always feels like some sort of initiation, you know, it's an, it's an opportunity on a positive note to look behind from where we've come and identify everything that we need to do differently so that we can move forward more learned, more grounded, more hopeful. And I think the majority of us really do try to stay as positive as we can around this time of year. But interestingly enough, January is also traditionally astrologically associated with the planet Saturn. And, and Saturn is an archetype of boundaries and stricture and discipline. Uh, it's, it's the grumpy Kronos or grumpy father time. Something many of us are trying to create for ourselves with our New Year's resolutions are these boundaries and these strictures and these disciplines. And maybe the letting go of our destructive habits and proverbial baggage of the previous year. And as we set out to create new behaviors and practices and routines, we have to be really careful not to get lost in the self-deprecating talk that can come about, that, that negativity, that, that, that language that, that comes out of somewhere deep down inside our consciousness. It can be all too easy to get discouraged from making any progress at all when we give ourselves a hard time about how much we have to accomplish and how crappy we feel for getting to the state in the first place. 
So that really brings me to my musings for this month. When I think about something in the past, looking back, that is a bit of a cautionary tale to myself and also could have been and was for quite a long time uh, something that I gave myself a really hard time about. And that is the first and only time I ever hurt anybody with an herb. The first and only time I ever hurt anyone with an herb is a cautionary tale that even after 24 years since it happened, I still remember it in my heart and my nervous system like it was yesterday. In fact, this shocking experience of causing harm with an herb changed the entire trajectory of my herbalism journey, and for the better. But geesh, what a moment in time. I was absolutely gobsmacked. And for those of you who are not sure what the word gobsmacked means, this is the Scots way of saying punched in the mouth or astonished. So I was absolutely gobsmacked by the upheaval of my then naive and youthfully dogmatic belief system that all herbs were good and safe and for all people and could never cause anyone harm. So the, the brief version of the story goes something like this. I was in college at the University of Oregon in Eugene, Oregon, working towards my dual major uh, Bachelor of Arts in Cultural Anthropology and Psychology when I found myself in an era of my life I often refer to as my barefoot revolution. And this is no joke. It was the late 90s, and I would actually walk around Eugene, Oregon barefoot all of the time. Being in Eugene, though, I was surrounded by people using, selling, and teaching about herbs as tools for health. And naturally, I found myself studying and tasting and trying as much as I could get my hands on. In fact, it was during my senior year at university that I came to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that I wanted to spend the rest of my life working with herbs. I wanted to be an herbalist. And yay, I did it. But also during my senior year, I was dating a guy whose mother, mm, I don't think she liked me very much, but she was generally unwell most of the time. And she suffered greatly with rheumatoid arthritis and several other medical conditions that had her generally unable to move around much and understandably very depressed. One day, after learning from her son that I was studying herbs, she asked me if I knew of anything that could help with her depression. And I was ecstatic that she had asked. Finally, I thought, a way to prove myself to her. You see, as a newbie, as an herbal newbie, I was learning about the use of herbs through mostly rote memorization. You know, use herb X for problem Y. The approach to herbalism that, unfortunately, is both very common and incredibly problematic. But more on that another time. So when my boyfriend's mother said depression, I naturally said St. John's wort. Because, of course, I was learning that depression equals St. John's wort. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been a ton of really remarkable and telling clinical trials, which are actually quite rare in herbal medicine. Um, that have definitely and definitively concluded that St. John's wort, this is Hypericum perforatum, 
is more effective than placebo and equally effective as many antidepressant medications for mild to moderate cases of depression. And I'm going to go ahead and put a couple links in the show notes for you so you can go ahead and check out those systematic reviews on your own. However, what I failed to understand at that moment in time, and that moment in time when she said depression and I thought St. John's wort, was A, it's way better to match herbs to people than herbs to problems. And B, you better be clear about herb-drug interactions before making any kind of herbal suggestions to anyone on pharmaceuticals. Little did I know that St. John's wort is the poster child for herb-drug interactions, and for very good reason. It has been studied extensively for its capacity to induce or speed up the metabolism of many but not all pharmaceuticals, and this can lead to therapeutic failure, meaning that the medication is unable to get to the levels it needs to be at in order to do its prescribed job. This can be absolutely catastrophic for the person taking the medication and the St. John's Ward. This was definitely the case for my boyfriend's mother. She was on an immune suppressant for various autoimmune diseases, including her rheumatoid arthritis. And this medication ended up failing when she started taking St. John's Ward, and she subsequently ended up in hospital. Holy moly, folks. I felt horrible. I felt more than horrible. I felt so bad that I don't even know if I have the words to describe it. And she certainly did not like me after this. That was the defining moment in my herbalism journey. It was then that I knew that if I wanted to be an herbalist, I was going to have to seek the education and training that would be extensive enough for me to never, ever cause harm again. So I did it. And here I am. It's been over 20 years since that awful event. And I can honestly say that nothing like it has ever happened again as a result of my herbal suggestions. Needless to say, since that initiation, I have learned volumes about both St. John's wort and herb drug interactions as a clinical practitioner, educator, and mentor. So I no longer feel intimidated by either. That being said, I have an absolute love affair with St. John's Wort. It's been front and center in my clinical practice now for the last two or three years and for really good reason. So many people have been struggling to keep their heads above the, the water line, so to speak. It's been one dramatic event after the next, and people's reserves are, are relatively pretty low. So I wanted to take an opportunity to really just shine some love light on St. John's Wort because it's so absolutely fabulous at doing that for us humans. But before I get going to bask in the sunlight of St. John's Wort, I wanted to kind of directly talk to you all about this really scary idea that an herb might somehow impact how and to what extent a pharmaceutical drug might work. For both students of herbalism and those seeking herbal support in their personal lives, it is important to know that this risk is very real, as my story points out. You who are students of herbalism, I can guarantee that you have been taught that herb-drug interactions are all about metabolism and enzymes in the liver. 
What if I were to tell you this actually isn't the case and that interactions that involve altering the metabolism of a drug are actually happening in the small intestine? If I were to tell you that assessing the risk for herb-drug interactions is based on more than just the herb alone and that the dose, the preparation or dosage form, and the timing of use are also critically relevant and that it also matters what pharmaceutical is in the equation and its dose and its dosage form and its timing of use. What if I told you that herb-drug interaction checkers and databases online are not actually very useful or even accurate when assessing herb-drug interaction risk in your clients? Well, if any of these questions have pulled on your curiosity strings, I hope you will consider joining me for my upcoming intensive, Demystifying Herbal Research and Herb-Drug Interactions, taking place in February of 2023. And at the very least, I hope that you will consider signing up for my free class on January 18th, What Every Herbal Practitioner Should Know About Herb-Drug Interactions. And I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. For those of you who are seeking herbal support in their personal lives whilst also using pharmaceuticals, the phenomenon of herb-drug interactions should be enough to move you right past the herbal supplement counter without spending a dime. And instead, investing in working with a clinical herbalist who has extensive experience and training in the subject. I also hope that my story inspires you to consider learning about using herbs to support yourself in such a way that you aren't falling for the use herb X for Y problem trap, and instead are learning from herbalists who understand and can teach you about herbs to support yourself from a perspective that avoids treating your problems. Because herbs just don't work that way, in my opinion and experience anyway. So now that we've covered one of the cautions of St. John's wort, I want to go ahead and bask in its warmth and its light and the love that it brings to us as human beings. There is one other caution as well, but I will talk about that later on. So first things first, I just want to be super clear about the species that I am talking about today. So when I say St. John's wort, I am referring to the European St. John's wort or Hypericum perforatum. Here in Southeast Ohio, Appalachia, we have another uh, species of St. John's wort, spotted St. John's wort, uh, Hypericum punctatum, which I use interchangeably uh, for the most part. But uh, European St. John's wort grows much more prolifically uh, as like a, a cultivated herb. And so I tend to focus on growing and using that one. I've found that uh, Hypericum punctatum or the spotted St. John's wort is definitely more fussy uh, in regards to where and how it likes to grow. And I've also noticed that it doesn't rebound to harvest very well. And in some cases, I've actually been surprised by uh, how much um, uh, of a detriment harvesting can be to its survivability. So I definitely focus on the European variety because, gee, it's just perfect as it is. One of the reasons why St. John's wort has taken such a front seat in my clinical practice this 
I don't know, last three years is because of this wonderful action um, that it has on the body that we call a nervine action or nerve trophorestorative action. And what these terms refer to, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, a nervine is uh, an, an herb that has the capacity to support relaxation in the nervous system. And then nerve trophorestorative is an action that refers to an herb that helps support healing of nerve tissue specifically. So when I think about one of the main indications for St. John's wort being depression, um, and you know us often finding it put in this uh, unsatisfactory box of being a quote-unquote antidepressant herb, it definitely is much more than an antidepressant herb because of these nervine and nerve trophorestorative actions. So there's support there for relaxation in the nervous system as well as the repair of frazzled nervous system tissues, right? So perfect combination there. And as a front and center nervine, one of the ways that I can I don't know, describe my clinical experience of the impact of St. John's Wort in people's lives is this amazing capacity to provide us with a bit of space from ourselves. So we can kind of crawl up out of the darker places that we find ourselves in, get a little bit grounded, get a little bit centered, and feel like we are resourced enough to approach the bigger patterns of uh, thinking and being that are perhaps keeping us trapped in these darker places. And it's interesting because um, when we're looking back at the tradition of use of St. John's wort, it is uh, definitely under the astrological governance of the sun and specifically the sun in Leo. And okay, so maybe I'm a Leo baby and that's why I love St. John's wort so much. But really, um, what this is, is medical astrology's way of telling us that there is an affinity for the heart and specifically the emotional heart. So another one of the actions that um, goes hand in hand with what I'm talking about today is this term called vulnerary. And vulnerary is a term that we use in herbalism to describe um, the capacity of an herb to help support healthy healing of the tissues. Uh, and that's both of the skin as well as internal tissues. And so, uh, you know, St. John's Wort definitely has uh, extensive use topically. Um, we see it a lot in wound healing salves. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with St. John's Wort infused oil, which I will talk about a little bit later, um, you know, that is a, a definitely an oil that's used in, uh, you know, healing support salves and all of these things. I also want to think about this idea of vulnerary, gee, if I can say that right, vulnerary in the internal world or in the emotional realm. And this is where I feel like St. John's Wort does its most fantastic supportive work. For me and for my clients, this is an herb that I believe really helps to facilitate healing of emotional wounds. And like I mentioned before, it is this, you know, uh, this amazing archetype of giving us space from ourselves so we can actually do some of that work. And so, you know, it's not to say that, you know, you're going to take St. John's Wort and miraculously all of your problems are going to go away. That's not what I'm saying. 
What I am saying is that I think it is a phenomenal tool when used alongside other tools like uh, reflective journaling, talk therapy, relaxation exercises, or whatever else it is that you know you yourself or your client are doing to help navigate the emotional realm and the impact that the emotional realm is having on their bodies and on their day-to-day lives. So so thinking about St. John's Wort as this uh, wound healer in the emotional realm is to me really uh, where it shines a lot of its light. And it's interesting because, you know, I mentioned, you know, being an herb of the sun in Leo, I also have this, uh, this teacher of mine who uh, has since passed, um, the late Christopher Headley, who used to talk about uh, St. John's wort as the sunshine herb. And the metaphor that I like to think about with this plant, especially when I'm thinking about its appropriate use, is this light bringer, this ability to bring sunlight and warmth into cold, dark places. And so uh, I hope that that shines a little light on its use. Now, The thing is, is that we don't necessarily have to take an herb internally to experience the benefits of its support. And so, you know, for those of you, for example, who are on pharmaceuticals and feel like you do need a little bit of St. John's wort sunshine, one of the things that you could try is to actually work with the herb externally. So this is in the form of an infused oil. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about preparations towards the end of this chat, but um, I think about using St. John's wort talismanically, right, as a as a symbol or a, uh, as part of a, a ritual of self-care that can help bring a little bit of light into your dark places. So uh, really wonderful. There's um, a, a one precaution I'll say, both with the internal as well as the topical use of St. John's wort as well, uh, beyond you know, herb-drug interactions like I've talked about already. And that is uh, phototoxicity. So this is basically an increase of sensitivity to sunlight. Um, And whilst this isn't necessarily going to be the case for all people, um, you know, if you are taking St. John's wort internally or you're using it topically, just be aware that exposure to sunlight uh, can actually result in more significant sunburn than you're con- you know, used to. So, you know, as per uh, usual, you want to make sure that you are practicing some caution when exposing yourself to sunlight uh, whilst using St. John's wort. So while I'm on the topic of topical use, Um, I really want to also highlight the aromatic nature of St. John's wort and the beautiful essential oil that is produced uh, from steam distillation of the plant. Now, I have to say that, again, when it comes to using essential oils, there's a whole conversation about safety, uh, ethics, sustainability, etc., but I really, really value St. John's wort as an aromatic. In fact, uh, you know, when I am uh, pressing my fresh plant tinctures uh, and I'm dispensing the the St. John's wort tincture uh, for my clients, it is amazing how sweet and bright the tincture smells. Um, you don't really get this strong aromatic hit from it from the dried herb, uh, which I tend to not use anyway. And it's interesting because even when you're working with a fresh herb in the garden, it, it's not really profoundly aromatic like, you know, say mint or something like that. But it is aromatic. And in those oil glands that have this, this really wonderful 
juicy red pigmentation. This is the pigmentation that you uh, see when you make a fresh plant tincture uh, or when you make uh, you know, a fresh plant infused oil. It's that, that wonderful deep red of St. John's wort. Um, in that in that oil, you also have the volatile oils or the essential oils, and they, when isolated, are magnificent, folks. Absolutely magnificent. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and put in my show notes uh, a source to that essential oil. It's not exactly the cheapest uh, in the world, as you can imagine. It takes an enormous amount of plant material to yield a very small amount of essential oil. But this is an essential oil that I'm not just whipping about and using willy-nilly. In fact, it's one of those oils that I only use for uh, inhaling under the nose briefly uh, from moment to moment. I, I don't diffuse it. I literally just open up the bottle, um, you know, put it under my nose for a second, and then put the cap back on. And, and that's how I use St. John's Wort essential oil. I might also use it in blends for my clients. So when I'm working with my clients one-on-one -on -one and doing aromatherapy with them, um, St. John's Wort might come in. But just like with the whole plant, uh, topically, definitely with the essential oil, uh, you're going to want to be super careful about exposure to sunlight if you're going to use St. John's Wort essential oil on the skin, because that will definitely increase your uh, risk of phototoxicity. So speaking of this beautiful aromatic essential oil, my, uh, my friends and mentors at Aromanosis talk about using the St. John's wort to help heal the wounded animus, right? So this is that wounded inner masculine that we all have, regardless of our, uh, you know, biology or gender identity and expression. And so there's more information about that and that use uh, on their website, but that will also be in the show notes. But I, I really do love this idea of, of healing inner emotional wounds um, and really kind of calling in St. John's wort, you know, either internally or, uh, you know, topically or talismanically to do this beautiful work. And I suppose I should just clarify one more time for those of you who aren't familiar, there is a very big difference between an infused oil and an essential oil. Uh, an infused oil is uh, a preparation made from extracting the medicinal qualities of plants into a carrier oil like sunflower oil or olive oil or something along those lines. An essential oil, however, is a much different substance and much more potent, actually, I think, in the way that it interacts with the skin and also with the body. And so an essential oil is a, a substance that has been either steam distilled, uh, hydro distilled, or um, kind of procured in a couple of different methods, whereby you're isolating the compounds that are volatile and therefore aromatic. And aromatic, I mean that you can smell them. So it's the concentrated form or the essential oil, which is very, very different than taking plant material as whole and infusing it into something like olive oil or some other carrier. But that being said, uh, the infused oil of St. John's wort is hugely popular. And I've always found this to be super fascinating because this is one of those herbs that, you know, if you're going to make an infused oil topically for yourself or for your clients, you're going to want to use the fresh plant. And this is interesting because in, you know, 
in basically in most herbal realms, it's a big no-no to try to infuse fresh plants into oil. And the reason is because of the water content. You know, you end up with uh, a fresh plant material just sitting in oil. It kind of goes off. It goes rancid. And so there's a real trick to making St. John's wort infused oil where you are uh, basically for me, the way I do it is I allow the plant to wilt pretty significantly. Um, and then I will do an infusion from that. And one of the things that is really interesting about, you know, this, this oil and water sort of situation is that, you know, oil does float on top of water. And so what I usually do when I'm straining off my St. John's wort, fresh St. John's wort oil is that I will actually discard, like discard the bottom third of the jar, uh, simply because I feel like that's where the most problematic moisture might reside um, when I'm when I'm straining it out. So there's a number of wonderful resources out there, and I will uh, put a link to one of those in the show notes for you if you're interested in making your own St. John's Wort infused oil. But what you're looking for, um, you know, in your end result is this bright red oil. So I do suggest, uh, you know, uh, just for the fun of it, using a, a carrier oil like sunflower or grapeseed or apricot, where, um, you know, it, it is quite translucent and it's not, uh, you know, already colored or opaque like olive oil is. Also true, uh, by the way, for tinctures. And so I'm going to say this, you know, pretty declaratively, that I really believe that if you're going to do an infused oil, you need to be using the fresh plant material. I'm also going to say that about the tincture. And the reason why is that a lot of these magnificent compounds that are really supportive to the nervous system are believed to, uh, you know, degrade rather quickly once the plant is dried. And so to capture a lot of this nervine quality, you really need to capture the plant when it's in full flower fresh out of your gardens. And what I usually do with a, with a, uh, a standard tincture of like a one part plant material to two part menstruum at about anywhere between 60 to 75% alcohol. Um, and for those of you at home that are just wanting to kind of work with a tincture and make a tincture on your own, you know, this is basically, you know, you'll harvest your St. John's wort fresh, you'll shove it as deeply and as mostly packed as you can into a mason jar, cover it up with some vodka, let it sit for four weeks and strain it out. Um, and that's kind of what we call the folk method. And I have had students of mine ask me about using the dried herb for tea, an infusion. And I have to say that the only luck that I have had uh, working with St. John's wort as a dried herb as an infusion is when I have sourced my St. John's wort from uh, American herb farmers. And so they have grown, harvested, and dried it all in one season. I've had less luck uh, with the dried herb when I've sourced it from third-party suppliers. And I think simply because uh, it just, it, you know, the plant is is really dead for a much longer period of time than uh, is good for the maintenance of some of these really wonderful medicinal compounds. But that being said, there is um, a really interesting traditional use for St. John's wort that I have wanted to touch on in this uh, episode, and that is in regards to the urinary system. 
In fact, when you look back at the traditional literature, when I say traditional, I'm referring to the Western herbalism tradition. So I'm going to go back to William Salmon and uh, Nicholas Culpepper in the UK, uh, and then kind of move through into the eclectic and physiomedical tradition. And, and so looking at Nicholas Culpepper and William Salmon, we can see uh, that there is a uh, long history of use for supporting the healing of tissues in the urinary system. And, um, you know, you see this also uh, when you kind of move over to colonial medicine and looking at the work of the eclectics and the physiomedicalists. Um, they also talk about St. John's wort as a urinary system tissue tonic. So I think that that would be a really wonderful way to bring the tea in. If you're working with a client uh, who is really struggling with uh, recurrent urinary tract infections or, uh, you know, any kind of uh, inflammation in the urinary system, uh, you know, the St. John's wort might be very supportive to healthy healing in those tissues. But again, you want to make sure you're sourcing that from uh, an American herb farmer, if possible, and definitely, uh, you know, if not, that you're growing it yourself uh, and drying it and harvesting it and using it all within the same year. So um, with that, I'll say, you know, St. John's wort is the European one anyway, in my experience, is relatively easy to grow. Um, I do think that when it's intensely uh, grown, so under agricultural conditions, it does have the tendency to succumb to certain diseases that can make harvest, um, you know, not, not so profitable. And it is also a favorite of Japanese beetle. I've definitely noticed this in my gardens anyway. Um, and so I've done a lot of, you know, all around the season, I'm going around and I'm picking off the Japanese beetles and I'm putting them in soapy water and trying to, to keep them off of the St. John's wort because I think they love it as much as I do. Um, but it is a, a really wonderfully easy plant to grow. It is considered a hardy perennial. Um, and so what that means for me in Southeast Ohio is that it will uh, survive my winters, which is great. Um, and when you go to harvest it, you know, I always suggest being a bit careful that you don't cut it down all the way to the base. Um, you know, it should sprout back pretty well if you can basically just take the flowering tops. So it's just a, a little bit of a harvesting trick there. I, I've experimented with this quite a bit where I've been like, I need all the St. John's word I can get my hands on. And I've, I've cut it down at the base and um, unfortunately have killed the plant as a result. So um, just really focusing on those flowering tops. And I'm going to go ahead and put in the show notes uh, a couple of sources for both seed uh, as well as live plants. Uh, so if you guys are interested in growing it yourself, you can. Um, and I guess, you know, when it comes to the harvesting, you know, we want to think about the, the namesake of the herb, St. John, uh, named after St. John's Day, or, you know, in, in my tradition, this is really the summer solstice. This is a high summer, capture all the sunshine, sunshine herb um, that you really want to harvest while it is in flower. And you're going to see that peaking towards the end of June into July uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. So, uh, you know, it's it's good good full sun, nice and dry when you harvest it and making sure that there are lots of those lovely, beautiful, delightful, fanciful little rays of sunshine flowers on the plant. So anyways, I think that that is all of the love I am going to share today about St. John's wort. I am sure that I'm going to return to this amazing medicinal herb in another episode 
But for now, I want to say thank you so much for listening. I'm excited to get this Herbal Sensorium podcast on the road. Uh, It's been uh, something I've been dreaming about doing for several years now. So it's going to be a work in progress. And I hope that you look forward to next month like I am. This is Erica Gallantin of Sovereignty Herbs and the Herbal Practice Connection, wishing you wellness wherever you are on your clinical herbalism journey. Thank you all for being with me in the Herbal Sensorium, and I look forward to spending time with you again here very, very soon.